This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat show. And we're going to talk a lot about Georgia football, the dog's last game, the dog's next game. And joining me, my old buddy, Neil McCready. He is the publisher of rebelgrove.com, also president of MPW Digital. You can check him out there on YouTube. And uh, Neil and I go way back to mobile register days in the 1990s. And since then, he has gone on to live a happy, healthy, and a very fun life at Old Miss right now, I would say, covering the Rebels. And of course, you know, I've been covering the dogs in this unbelievable run. And, and I'm going to start right there before I let Neil weigh in. I got to tell you, of all the wins that Kirby Smart has had during this 26 game win streak, I think we're there. This was one of the most impressive and the most impressive of this year. And the reason why was because Georgia had to fight and they had to execute and they had to coach. And that's what you saw. This, this is, this goes counterintuitive to what people are going to think. Missouri was the more physical football team in that game. Missouri's great players played better than Georgia's great players. Number seven, carrying the ball. I don't know how many guys he ran over. I don't know how many guys he ran through. That Missouri offensive line, we're not used to seeing Georgia push back. We're not used to seeing Georgia outrushed, certainly not at home. And all you can do is thank your lucky stars that Brady Cook decided to throw the perfect pass to Nazir Stackhouse. A lot of good things happened. Early on, you saw Missouri get good pressure on Carson Beck. Carson missed on a couple throws, but halftime adjustments, Mike Bobo, tremendous job. Carson, 11-14 in the second half. Two third-quarter touchdown drives, and then the defense coming up with two turnovers in the fourth. This was a classic. This was an instant classic. This was a great football game. I know that's not supposed to happen when it's Missouri. That's supposed to happen when it's Alabama. It's supposed to happen. Missouri's not supposed to do that. But, Neil, they snuck up on the dogs. Let me ask you. You know a little bit about Missouri football. Were you surprised as you watched the second half of that game? No, not really. Uh, I've watched Missouri a lot this year. Uh, I, I thought they they should have beaten LSU. That game got away from them late because they just kind of they just kind of blew it. But they they didn't. They're talented. Uh, Cook's a good quarterback. The running back you just mentioned is a physical good runner. Uh, the wide receiver burden is is a first round NFL draft choice. I mean he he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. Help permitting. They're physical up front. They're good on defense. I think Eli Drinkwitz has done a really good job. In, in fact, in some ways, he's kind of gotten Missouri almost to the same place Lane Kiffin's gotten Ole Miss in the same amount of time. They're, they are they, they are a team you have to you have to be serious about. You, um, you know, we do this. We in media fans do it too. And you might disagree with what I'm about to say. I think there is a temptation to. Hey, there's this established narrative from 30 years ago. So by God, that's just the way it's going to be forever. I I think we're in a totally different era. I think we have changed. I think there's a, there's a, you know, in you have AD and BC, you know, you know, I not, not to go super religious here. I, I, but I think, I think everything up to 2019 is a different world. The, the, the rules changed. Yeah, 2020 you had the COVID year that I, I think if you, hey, if you did something great in that year and you want to claim it, awesome. If you had a terrible year and you want to throw it away, I'm cool with that too. But after that, 2021 on, this is a new era of the sport. 
And maybe there will be regulations and changes and whatnot, and and things will get back to whatever. But for right now, this is a new era. And you look at what Missouri's done with NIL. You look at what Missouri has done with talent acquisition, with just kind of letting. Yes, I'm not allowed to be frivolous. I have no idea what that was. Uh, You 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 let uh, you let him you let him do those things, and I I think I think they're in a great spot, you know. And and I wasn't surprised that they 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 played Georgia the way that they did. They played Georgia very well last season, and uh, there was a temptation to go, well, Georgia just played with its food that night. Georgia was asleep, and there probably was some truth to that, but. There also was, hey, Missouri had a plan, and Missouri had some things that they felt like they could execute that would give Georgia problems. Georgia's is a behemoth. Georgia's incredible. What, the, what they've done right now, 26 straight wins. Was it 42 of the last 43? They haven't lost at home since, like, the, the Eisenhower administration or something like that. I mean, this is, this is amazing what they've done. But they're still humans. They, they play the game. They're fallible. And, and – you know, Missouri very clearly feels like they can put a plan together that lets them be competitive with with Georgia late into football games, and they've now done it two years in a row. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to go, oh, it must mean that Georgia's, uh, you know, Georgia's not focused or Georgia's not whatever. No, it, sometimes you just give credit to the other side. Give credit to Missouri and what Eli's been able to do there. They have a huge game this week against Tennessee that I think will be fascinating, but you know, they very clearly had a plan for Georgia. They saw some things on film two years in a row that they thought they could exploit, and they did. And I agree with you, by the way. Sometimes when you're winning consistently, and some and for Georgia, a lot of times winning kind of easily, and it's real easy to to read and hear everyone say that, oh, yeah, man, whenever Georgia turns it on, it's over. It's over. Well, sometimes you go to turn it on and it won't c- turn on, you know, like, let your lawnmower sit in the in the in the carport for six months, and then go crank that thing, and all of a sudden it's you know sputtering. Well, that happens with people too, and um, you know, I I just I think they got tested, and they the way they responded to that test down was I think it was thirteen to ten. I was at Vaught Hemingway, I was writing post game, but thirteen to ten, and Missouri's got this confidence about them. Missouri was not intimidated by Georgia. They weren't intimidated by, by Sanford Stadium. They, they, they knew what they were getting into. They were imminently prepared, and, and Georgia had to go answer. Georgia had to go win the game. Missouri wasn't going to go give them the game, and I thought it spoke volumes to the toughness that Georgia has. That That's Kirby's personality in so many ways. And, you know, he talked about it. You're around it every day. I'm not. But he talked about it at media days, about complacency is, is the, 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 the thing you have to fight against. Um, and, you know, I think you have to fight against it on a daily basis. And sometimes that message doesn't really resonate when the coach is saying it over and over and over and over. But you have to stay on that message because in those moments when you're up against it a little bit, you've got to respond right then. And they did. And I think it's I think it speaks volumes to the culture that Kirby has been able to not only build, but maintain at at Georgia week after week, season after season. When you're everybody's big game, you're the you're the big game that everybody wants to take down. You're the scout that everybody wants to hold up and go, look what we did. And and man, that's it's hard to answer that bell week after week. It's the part of the Nick Saban um, era at Alabama that I don't know that he really gets the credit for. He gets a lot of credit for the championships, sure, the first round picks, the Heisman's, all that stuff. What he doesn't get the credit for is, dude, they don't have a bad year. It is every single year. It's every single week. We all try to go, oh, here, they're, they're vulnerable. Here they go. This is it. This is the end. No, it's not. They just find new ways to win. 
And now Kirby's doing that at, at in Athens, and it's every bit as impressive. It really is. It's remarkable. Yeah, you know, you mentioned culture. I think that that was a program win culture, culture win. Backs to the wall. You're not having your best game. Football is a matchup game. Missouri's found something. Missouri's winning the trenches. Kirby said it again, you know, today. He said, look, we there were times they got whooped. He said, you know, people have this impression that you just win every snap, and that that's just not the SEC. It's, it's a – uh, ebb and flow and a give and take and sometimes you win the line at battles and games and sometimes you don't uh, but that was a game when Missouri got the best of Georgia up front and Georgia had to find ways and the playmakers you know you know Ladd McConkey once again he's really emerged Neil and in, in this Georgia team after losing Brock Bowers if you'd have told me and I've said this I don't think Georgia would have won the last two national titles without Brock Bowers I don't because he's a guy that nobody could stop. He's a guy everybody game plans for. And because they're doing so much stuff for number 19, they get all screwed up. TCU linebacker basically told me at the senior bowl, we couldn't get lined up. We had all these plans for Brock Bowers. Georgia starts using motions, and everybody starts thinking. And you know what happens when you think in football. You get neutralized real fast. And Georgia knew all that and, and had everybody's head spinning. I don't know that Georgia wins this year's national championship without Brock Bowers, frankly. Um, you know, let, let's see what happens against Old Miss. Let's see what happens at Tennessee. Let's see what happens against Georgia Tech. Let's see what happens in the SEC championship game or in the playoff. Point is, that was bad trouble when he went down. Ladd McConkie got healthy at the right time. He's filled that void. Carson Beck is a better passer than Stetson Bennett. He doesn't do as much with his feet. He doesn't give you the extra. He doesn't create. You know, they could have really used that against Missouri. You saw how Brady Cook was able to run. We're going to have an opportunity to preview Ole Miss here in a little bit. We're going to talk about Jackson Dart and all the fantastic things that he does. But the other point you made that I would jump on quickly is the before and after. I think when we look back on this era, just like I kind of look at like um, 1998 BCS era. 98, and I'm going to I'm going to say 98, and we'll probably end up including all these playoffs up until COVID, to your point. We'll probably say that's the BCS era even though they went to a 14 playoff in 14, because the 14 playoff era is not going to prove to be that long. It's going to be 2014 to 2023. We're going to 12 teams now. It's only nine years. BCS lasted from 98 to 14. That was 16. It was a long era. I think those will get grouped together, to your point. I think we'll see post-COVID, because what also accompanied post-COVID, you and I going off on this philosophical tangent here, but what accompanied post-COVID was NIL, and transfers, liberal transfer rules. That's what goes it's, with it. It's it's allowed the Eli Drinkwitz and the Lane Kiffins of the world to look at their teams. Honestly, you got you got to you got to be you got to be the guy that looks in the mirror and goes, "Oh, got to lose a few," or "Oh, oh, I, I got these signs. I got got to work on my, my appearance." Right? You can't be not you can't be naive and, and and arrogant and go, "Oh, it was just one. It was a one off." Nope, nope, nope. No, you but you can fix it, and you can fix it with older players. You can you can bring guys in that are mature that can help you immediately, and and that's the difference. Is in the previous era, man, Eli Drinkwitz would have to go sign a bunch of high school kids, get them into his program, get them into the weight room, get them going, and he'd be tempted to jump on a JUCO here. And then you, every everybody goes, well, he went JUCO for a reason, and nine out of ten times you find out it's because he's kind of a punk. And you got all these culture issues, and, and you never can catch Georgia. You can't catch Alabama. But now you can get a lot closer right off the bat, where instead of starting 
a hundred yards behind them, you start 30 yards behind them. Well, and Neil, yards your, your free agent acquisitions are better. I mean, I I've said this and I, I know it, it doesn't necessarily endear me to, you know, people like, Oh, I wish you'd be more of a cheer. Look, Georgia's transfer receivers aren't as good as other teams transfers receivers. Florida state's receiver Coleman is the best receiver that came out of the portal. He's, he's dynamic, but a game changer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. this, this Weiss guy, uh, you know, that, that I saw at Missouri is there. Look, this guy has filled Dominic Lovett's shoes there. Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, they're good players, but they're not better than the guys that they replaced. Uh, yeah, Lovett, one of the one of Ole Miss's big acquisitions was Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech, and he's just been a total difference maker for them when he's on the field. They added a tight end from Memphis and Caden Priestcorn, who's been a total difference maker for them. Jordan Watkins, a wide receiver from Louisville, stepped in. You, you can get older, mature guys who want roles. They know that the role's there for them, and uh, it's, it's, it's game-changing. If you had asked Lane Kiffin when he took the job, and I think it's the reason why when he took the job, he was almost kind of deflated a little. He walked in, he inherits this roster that's got holes all over it, and if he had to refill it the old traditional way, Mike, they wouldn't be eight and one right now. They might be. Stop you there and ask you this. Before we talk about this game, yeah, since sure. you are the expert on this, and I know we're backtracking a little bit, but how close was Lane to going to Auburn? And why do you think he stayed? You know, I have people that get mad at me when I say this because there's there's no way we're never going to get the exact full story. Okay. But I believe he was taking the job. I believe he, I believe he, here's what I believe. I don't believe Lane really wanted to take the Auburn job, but I think there was a part of Lane that was like, well, historically it's a better job. It's an easier job. It's a higher profile job. And then what made him change? I think honestly, this is the part that is out. And I think it's true. I think it's two things. One, I think he's come to really love this place. And I don't think that comes naturally to him. I don't think he's wired that way. I don't think Lane's an emotional person who makes decisions based on emotions typically. And then his daughter, um, Landry, came here to Oxford. She went to Oxford High School as a senior. She moved here for her senior year and loved it. Met lots of friends, really liked Oxford. Uh, it's the reason we've stayed so long. The schools are really, really good. They, 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 your kids thrive here. And she did. She thrived quickly. She's a very bright girl. She she uh, made made a bunch of friends. I think she played on the volleyball team. I'm not exactly sure of all the details, but she enjoyed herself. And she decided she wanted to go to Ole Miss. And so, you know, she was doing that process as a senior. And, I mean, the story goes, and I believe it to be true, that she basically said to Lane, I came here for you. I came here for you. You know, we didn't, I wasn't, you weren't always there all the time for my childhood. He was in, in Alabama and, you know, they divorced at that time. And she stayed back in California and her dad's at Alabama and then he's at Boca. And, you know, your, your kid's childhood goes fast. You know that um, it just moves quickly. And uh, she said, I, I came here for you and you're going to leave. And I think it, I think it hit him. His family's here. Uh, Monty is here. Uh, Lane's sister is here. I, I, they all like it. It's it's a Oxford's a neat town in that you can be a celebrity here and people will leave you alone. I've seen Eli Manning walking back when Eli Manning was a Super Bowl champion quarterback. I mean, he was still the quarterback of the Giants. 
walking the aisles of Kroger and people leave him alone. I mean, no one takes pictures. They don't ask for pictures. They, they just leave him alone. It's like, okay, you're here. You're going to be a person and we're going to let you be a person. I was in a spin class once with Eli Manning and no one treated him any differently than anybody else in the class. <laughs> and dude had just been the MVP of the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just different in that regard. And I think Lane kind of enjoys that because you see Lane Kiffin, the, the social media guy, and he's great on social media, figuring out how to market and stuff like that. But Mike, that's not him. That's not him in the flesh. That's not who he is in the real world. He's very reserved and kind of private and really quiet and doesn't go out much and do, he's not wild, crazy. The Joey Freshwater thing is just not who he is. And, and it's not certainly not who he is now. He got here in 2020 and the COVID thing happened and, you know, he couldn't coach. He couldn't recruit. Who knew whether there was even going to be a season and he stopped drinking. He uh, got super fit really lean. I mean, Lane is like really fit. And I I just think his life has changed. I think he's kind of grown up. He's matured and, and Ole Miss, Ole Miss fits him, man, in a way that's hard to explain to people who haven't been around it for a while. They, they meld the whole program around him. I mean, they, he doesn't want to do a lot of booster things, so they don't make him. But can, um, he, can he sustain Neil? Cause one of the things that Lane talks about and targets yeah is AM and their budget and the whole Jimbo. Yeah. It really wasn't about Jimbo as much as it was the it, to me it didn't seem like as much as it was the disadvantages that Old Miss is at when it comes to the financial budget. I mean, can Old Miss, I mean, we're sitting here, they're eight and one. They're a top yeah. 10 team. This isn't supposed to happen. Can they right. sustain? Well, we're gonna find out. Um, I think he thinks they can. Um, you know, look, are they ever gonna have the budget that AM's gonna have? No. But can you have enough budget to win? Look, let's just assume for the sake of it, a loss to Georgia, a win over ULM, and a win over Mississippi State. Is that fair? Sure. Yeah, 10 and, okay, two, ten, ten and 2. That's 10 and 2. That's 10 and 2, two out of three years at Ole Miss, at a place that's won 10 regular season games once before Lane Kiffin. He's done it twice in two years. And last year, before they lost to Alabama, in a game where they had the ball, first and 10 at the Alabama 14, I think, in the final two minutes, they were 8-1 and one going into that game. And then all the rumors kicked in, and they they had a, a bad letdown at Arkansas. Arkansas played the game of their season. It was their senior night. They jumped on Ole Miss quick. That got away, and then they they completely wet the bed. I'd use a different term, but we're a family show here. They <laughs> they they wet the bed against a, a, a an average Mississippi State team that night in Oxford, and it got away, and ended up looking a lot worse than it was. That team was on the cusp of going ten wins. And Mike, if you take Georgia and Alabama out of the league. Okay, just for the sake of take them out of the conversation. There's not another program in the league that's doing this consistently. Not, LSU's not. A&M's not. Missouri's not. Tennessee's not. I think Tennessee's going to, but they haven't yet. And 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 who's done it? Georgia's doing it. Yeah, well, Georgia's winning on a historic level. We talked about Alabama, historic level. Everybody else, everybody else in the league might trade places with where Ole Miss is today. Georgia would say, no, no, we're cool. We're right here. Alabama would go, no, we're good. We control our destiny. We're going to get a shot at Alabama, at Georgia and, and win the SEC and go to the playoff. That's what they're saying in Tuscaloosa. Everybody else would be like, yeah, we'll trade, shots with, we'll trade with Ole Miss and have a shot. Nobody else has a shot. I mean, the well, next – One more guy before we take our halftime break. Okay. And, you, and that's Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is at Auburn. You've covered Auburn. You're familiar with Hugh Freeze. Look into your crystal ball. Tell me what you think is going to happen with Hugh Freeze and Auburn. Um, 
He's got to grow a lot thicker skin. He's going to have to figure out a way to put some of the Mississippi stuff behind him. And at that job, you better approach Georgia and Alabama with a relentless passion. And I'll give him the benefit. This is just year one in that job. And there was always going to be growing pains for Hugh Freeze at Auburn because it's a different media deal. It's a different fan thing. It's expectations are, um, you know, you and I've talked about this before. Expectations are reality. Perception is reality. If you're, if the majority of the people who control what happens to you expect you to compete for the national championship, that, that is the reality. Even though someone like you and me would look at it and go, well, is that really all that realistic these days? I mean, it's going to be a minute before you're back to that place. That's not how they think. So it doesn't really matter what you and I from the outside think. If that's what people think on the inside, that's the reality. And I think Hugh's going to have a hard time dealing with that. But now look, I watched him win some big games at Ole Miss. I watched him take Ole Miss to the the cusp of something. So, yes, can he do it at Auburn? Sure. Is it going to be really, really hard? You bet. Because, man, this league's hard right now. Because you can you can close the gap. It's our, our conversation kind of coming full circle as you get to your halftime. You can close the gap fast now. You can get good at Kentucky quickly. You can get good at Missouri quickly. You can get good at Ole Miss. And you can stay. If you have, hey, if you have a quarterback and you have coaching and a creative offense and you can get some skill players and you can get those things out of the portal typically and then you can build some culture inside your program, yeah, and you can be right there. And so if you're Auburn, it's not as simple as it was back in the old days when Hey, just behind the table, man. And we slip a little money here and there and you get who you wanted to get. You'd be right there on the precipice and maybe you'd catch Alabama down and you'd catch Georgia just kind of being mediocre for a while. And I think Georgia people would admit they were kind of mediocre for a while, Um, but not now. And now you got, now you're dealing with superpowers and then you got everybody else around you too. And it's a tough, that, that Auburn job's a tough job now. And I think, I do think that was part of Kiffin's decision beyond the stuff was I do think some people were like, Hey, they're going to be a little more patient with you at Ole Miss. Um, you know, they're not going to be patient with you at Auburn. And at Auburn, if you don't, you don't want to go kiss the babies and 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 do the politician stuff that that Lane doesn't like to do. If you don't do that stuff, man, you better really win. Because if you don't, ask Brian Harson how that shit works out. Pardon my language. Wow. They'll no, run, they'll run you, and they did because they think they should be a national title contender. And if that's what they think, then that's what is. Boy, that's going to be real interesting. I, I predicted that Hugh Freeze would have some success. He's had some success. I think he's a little light on the success right now in terms of what I expected in year one. I know those were high expectations, but I, I expected an upset in there. For some reason, I had it in my head that he might find a way against LSU. Boy, was I wrong about that. This is a matchup game, and doesn't look like anybody stops LSU but LSU, and yet here they sit here with three losses and that tells you everything about the league. This is a good time for our halftime break, Neil. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the league, but I really want to get into the Georgia Old Miss matchup because this is a very intriguing game. It's the first time that Kirby and Lane Kiffin have gone head-to-head at head coaches. Right now, though, I want people to pay attention to this message from our sponsor, Ingles. Appreciate Ingles sponsoring us each and every Monday night here on DogNation.com. Check this out. Neil and I will be right back after this message. 
Did you know that Ingalls sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the program. And, uh, you know, you've heard Neil and I uh, rambling and talking SEC, which we tend to do when we get together. And because there's a lot of topics that, you know, we were just saying during the halftime break. I mean, people don't talk about, you know, they don't really know what happened with Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. They don't really understand the Lane Kiffin. You hear about Alabama and you see Lane Kiffin on Twitter and you see the headlines on Freeze. And that and that's really not much depth. But I always enjoy talking with Neil because he catches me up fast and, and he knows things like very few other people. In addition to his time at Old Miss, he covered Auburn. As I said, we were in Mobile together and uh, Neil was a very successful radio guy there. Uh, and he never kissed the ring. And, and I suppose that's why I have such Which led to a lack of success at the end. <laughs> well, I mean, but, yeah. think about how many, you know, and I'm, I'm not throwing other media guys under the bus, but there's a lot of them that kiss ass. It, it is what yeah. it is. There's certain people that'll say the certain things about the right people and how dare you go against the flow? And I respect the heck out of somebody that says, you know what? I know that's what you want to hear, but that's just not how it is. I've done the same thing. We've definitely take our we've definitely taken our punches for that, Neil. We for probably sure. always will. So partners in crime, <laughs> some mutual respect there, I'd like to think. So this game, let's absolutely talk about the Kirby Lane thing. And you told me you correctly predicted this. And Kirby was just as oh, Kirby just can't say enough good things about. How great Lane is. And you told yeah. me, said, Mike, Lane is going to be on his P's and Q's. He's not going to give Kirby. It's like these guys aren't giving each other any ammo, right? You saw that. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, number one, you know, Lane was at USC when they won 30 some odd straight games. Lane was at Alabama in a run where I think they won 25 straight. And so, you know, he, he's he knows Kirby. They coached together. Actually, it was 26. They're, they're, they're tied right now. Georgia's okay. tied that streak. Yeah, so I think Lane has, from firsthand experience, being on Pete Carroll's staff and then with Kirby on Nick Saban's staff, I think he has tremendous respect for what Georgia's done. I mean, it's remarkable in this day and age of parity to win 42 of 43 or whatever the number is. I'm not trying to be disrespectful if I'm off a game. It, it's incredible. Uh, nobody does that. It. And Lane's been at places that did it twice. He knows how difficult it is. I asked him just a little while ago as we record this, I, I asked him, how do you, you've been inside those buildings. How do you fight complacency? How do you fight just kind of getting bored? And his answer was, oh, it's great coaching, period. It's great coaching. So he, he has, I don't think Lane has a ton of respect for Jimbo Fisher. I think Lane has a ton of respect for Kirby Smart. And so you saw that play out last week with all of Lane's answers. And you'll see it play out this week. He's going to he's going to talk about it the way that and actually, Mike, I think he's telling the truth. I think he views it as house money, a bit of a free shot, and that the one thing they can't do is allow a loss to Georgia to derail them the rest of the way. That they can still have an incredibly successful season. They could still go eleven and two, win a an access bowl and you know, finish the season ranked in the top 10 and go into this new era, new, new era of college football with 12 teams making a playoff as a legitimate power. You know, I mean, I think he he feels that way. So 
I think that's what you'll see with how he approaches it. I don't think you're going to see him and or Ole Miss take this game and make it the biggest game in program history and some of the stuff that media is going to try to do. I, 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 I don't think they actually agree with that. I don't, and I don't either for the, for the, for, for what it's worth. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a huge opportunity and it's a huge barometer and a measuring stick and all of those things. But I, I don't think because the, the a loss Saturday is not catastrophic to the program at all. Not even a little bit. You know, I told somebody this today, I was covering the SEC as a whole in Mobile in 2003 and Eli Manning's senior year. And they played LSU here in Oxford at the end of the season. And had Ole Miss won, they would have gone to Atlanta to play. I can't remember if it was Georgia or Florida. Somebody, Florida, I think. Um, they would have gone there. And they lost to an LSU team that ended up winning the national championship. Nick Saban's team. And I remember standing on the field talking to a couple of people as the game ended. And an Ole Miss person said, we won't be this close again for a long time. Well, if you're standing on the field at the end of the night at Sanford Stadium on Saturday and Ole Miss is losing, I, I don't think only a negative person would say that. I think I think instead the, the attitude will be, okay, well, we, we need to go back and study this because we got to figure out a way to close this gap. But we have an opportunity to get back to this place next fall because they, they it's how they view their program. They've built through the portal. He's having a lot of success recruiting now for the first time really in three years with high school kids. They're recruiting at a pretty high level. They got to close on some, but they're getting some players that they didn't get the last couple of seasons. And I, I think he feels like he's he's closing that gap. And and a win would be a huge win. What what do they got to do? So so what do they got? So I know I, I I've okay. watched yeah. Ole Miss. I see him. They they go hurry up. I see Jackson Dart. I I yeah. see Lane Kiffin celebrating touchdowns before snap. I mean, you know Kirby Smart. I don't think Lane's going to out scheme him necessarily, but Kirby kept saying, and Lane said it. He looks for matchups. He looks for matchups. He looks yeah. for matchups. How does Old Miss get those matchups, and where do you think they're at in this game? You know, I, I I don't. I think the first thing is that you have to be able to run the football with some degree of effectiveness. Missouri was able to. That stops you from that. You you can't go against these really talented defenses like Alabama. How do you compare Judkins to what I saw number seven Schrader for Missouri? You know, I think they're similar. I think Judkins is potentially a more dangerous back. Schrader's awfully good. He's he's he's. Are underrated in my opinion judkins when he's on and here the last few weeks he's been on yeah. he's a violent runner he has elite vision uh he, he sees things that a lot of backs don't see until they watch the film quinchon sees those things in real time and he's able to to turn a two-yard gain into a six-yard gain a six-yard gain into a 13-yard gain he, he gained some weight in the offseason. I think he did the get bulk thing, and I think it's cost him a little bit of mobility. I don't think he's quite as shifty as he was a year ago. I'll be curious to see whether he approaches his offseason differently. Rocket Sanders at Arkansas kind of did the same thing, and mm -hmm. his body didn't hold that weight. It'll be interesting to see what those guys do in the offseason. But, you know, Jackson Dart can hurt you with his feet, but he's, he's a really good decision maker this year. Last year he was – I had a conversation with Jackson in August, Mike. I'm kind of jumping around. But in August, I said, hey, you know, we got to cut the turnovers down. How, how do you go about that? And he said, you know, last season there were some times. It was his first year in, in an RPO. It was his first year in that system, first year. He's a Utah kid who spent a year at USC, and now he's at Ole Miss. And it was just a lot of new. And he said there were times that decision-making was sort of gray. He, he wasn't exactly sure where to go with the ball. And this year he said it slowed down. He's feeling better. He, he He's – much more confident in his decisions. He's tough as 
nails. The kids respect him. They play for him. Um, he can hurt you with his feet if you're not disciplined as a def- as a defense. If you get uh, a little carried away trying to get after him, he can escape and, and and make plays downfield with his feet. He's not the greatest deep ball thrower. It's the part of his game that if he's going to be, um, you know, an, an NFL quarterback, he's got to get better at the deep ball. But other than that, man, he's been really strong. He they, they're starting to play with more confidence up front. Yeah, how good is that line? Do they give up a lot of sacks, or how? Where are they are they savvy tackle to tackle? They're, they're they're savvy tackle to tackle. They they get held for they get called for holding a lot, which tells me that early in the season either they were holding and there was a lot of a film that came out with them holding because officials seem to be looking for it now, or that they're holding. Uh, they they had, they were about to put a And M away Saturday. They were about to go up twenty one to nothing, and they had a touchdown called back on a hold. It ended up having to settle for a field goal. It got blocked, returned for a touchdown. All of a sudden, a twenty one to nothing game is fourteen to seven. Well, that's a swing, man. I mean, that was a big swing. Um, to answer your question, that can't happen in Athens, right? You what, can't. What about crowd noise? They, they, you, you've seen Old Miss go into hostile turf before. We know Lane is good at home, nineteen to twenty-one or twenty yeah. twenty-two. What about 20 22. Hostile, hostile waters? What would, Sanford Stadium is going to be rocking. You see my background; they're going to have it lit up with the red LED lighting. It's it's going to be the loudest atmosphere they've had probably since the Tennessee game. What does Old Miss do in those situations? How well do they communicate in these situations? They will tell you that they learned a lot from the Alabama game in September when it was really loud and they struggled. Um, now, they were not healthy that day. Judkins was not healthy. Trey Harris, the wide receiver from Louisiana Tech, basically didn't play. It was Caden Priestcorn's first game after he missed most of camp and the first three games of the season, and he looked rusty. So they, they weren't at 100%. Not the same team that we're going to see. Not the same team we're going to see. No, I wouldn't think so. But, you know, but look, Bryant Denny gets loud. And it got loud that day, and and they didn't handle it particularly well. And since then, they've they played at Jordan Hare, and it gets loud there. You know that it's a sneaky loud place, even when Auburn's not great, and Auburn's not great now. Um, but they handled it pretty well at Auburn. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times, and then played really well and handled it and looked like a big boy team in the second half. But like, here, here's the thing, Mike: they can't have a first half at Georgia like they had at Auburn. They can't come out of the gate slow at Georgia. They'll get buried, and they won't have a chance to do anything. This well, is let me a risk. ask you that. Yeah, Where ahead. do you think Georgia can exploit Ole Miss? You know their strengths. They've got yeah. some star power and a fantastic head coach. You've seen enough of Georgia to say, okay, this is where the dogs could be trouble for the Rebels. Yeah, I think this is a potential uh, big game for Carson Beck. Uh, Ole Miss at the corners is thin. They're a little banged up in spots. I don't think they're great in coverage. I think they're kind of average in coverage. They've gotten better at safety over the course of the season, but there's not a ton of speed there. There's not like that elite downfield guy that, you know, great teams have. They don't really have that guy. They've, 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 they've added a lot of depth. Pete Golding, the former Alabama defensive coordinator, has done a remarkable job in year one with taking what he has and making the most of it. But he doesn't have a ton of NFL guys on on in especially in the back end. Got a couple guys up front that are pretty good. Cedric Johnson's pretty good. Jared Ivey, the Georgia Tech transfers, had a really strong season. So they, they've gotten they've got a young freshman linebacker, Sunterine Perkins, who is going to be a star in this league. He will be a name that everyone knows over the next couple of years. He'll be on all SEC lists and stuff like that. They've got some weapons, Mike, but they're susceptible. 
I mean, LSU lit them up. LSU lights up everybody. I get it. Georgia Tech had a big day against them. Haynes King was very effective against this defense. Um, Auburn didn't do anything against them. K.J. Jefferson didn't do anything against them. But uh, Max Johnson had his way at times on Saturday, especially in the second half. Three second-half touchdown drives for Texas A&M on Saturday in Oxford. And they, you know, set up for a game-tying field goal, and Ole Miss got a, a finger on it and, and blocked it to to end it. But, you you know, they, they, they have to – Ole Miss has to be concerned, and I'm sure Lane is, with the following. A couple of three and outs. Lane said today, you know, how do you – Lane was asked, how do you have success – offensively against these elite athletic defenses like the one you'll play against Georgia. And he said, well, you can have an offensive scheme that is unique enough that when it is executing, you can have success. And he said, but when you don't, when it doesn't work, it's ugly. And you go a couple of three and outs and you give the ball to Georgia and suddenly you let Georgia get a two score lead and that crowd gets going and you're not balanced anymore, man. That's how one of these games gets out of hand. You stay in it by using tempo, staying ahead. Uh, sometimes I think that you like the tempo on the road because then crowd noise kind of works against the defense. You're going fast and the defense can't hear. And so they're trying to communicate and that's where you get the bust. They can't the get lined, yeah, they can't get lined up. You're, get lined up. you're pre-prescribed. You know what you're going to do. By the way, Neil, today Kirby Smart said Jamon Dumas Johnson said he's not sure how long it's going to be said he's going to try to get some innovative ways to get back on the field. I just – I know everybody likes the idea of a linebacker going out there with a club arm and, and and playing like a Hall of Famer, but that's just – that's not a real world. You know, you need somebody that's 100% that's going to be fast against – you know, you, you may – you might have even gone with only one inside linebacker anyway. I mean, how much three and four wide do we – doesn't Ole Miss kind of spread it out and keep the wheels turning and, and run out of that spread formation like Florida did maybe yeah. back in the day? Yeah, you know, they're not super deep at wide receiver, but they don't really have to be because they when they're when that offense is on, it's tempo. You know, they've got a tight end who's versatile and pre-scoring. They've got the big wide receiver on the outside in Harris. They've got a couple of inside guys who are veteran guys, transfer guys, very mature, very selfless, uh, who get open, who are reliable ball catchers. And then you have Dart, you have they they'll throw it out of the backfield to Judkins. They've got um, Ulysses Bentley, the SMU transfer that's in there to, that adds a different kind of change of pace some at running back. So they, they they can get you in a number of ways when it's working and it's on tempo. And when you're on tempo, they don't sub. They just keep rolling and you go fast. And yeah, they, I've seen it happen. It worked against Auburn that that the, the crowd got so loud in an attempt to hurt Ole Miss that it stopped Auburn from being able to get lined up. And then you take advantage of a mismatch and there's a 20 yard chunk and a 20 yard chunk. And next thing you know, you've gone down the field and you've scored quickly and you've kind of changed the mood in the stadium. And that's the, if there's a, if there's a recipe to win and I'm not sure there really is, I think this is, this is going to be a real tall order, but if if there's a recipe to win, it's, it's making the game chaotic. Yep. Getting ahead early, turning into a track meet, wild and crazy plays, throws downfield isolated one-on-ones, whereas Kirby obviously wants to turn this into smash mouth and get a lead where, you know, he can put Ole Miss in some situations where they're behind the change and throwing quite a bit. I, I, you, you've painted a perfect picture of this. Before I let you go, I got to, again, tap into that knowledge. Um, you're in the state of Mississippi. Um, I got two, two tough questions for you, one on a border state and one on Mississippi State. Is this going to be it for Zach Arnett, number one? Number two, do you think Sam Pittman's win 
at Florida. I mean, I, I would like to think that the people of Arkansas know what they have, but I, I think you know that school a little bit as well. What are your thoughts on Zach Arnett at Mississippi State and his future after this year and Sam Pittman at Arkansas? So here's the deal with Arnett, Mike, is that you, 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 can, you can bail on this if you want, and I think they do want to. Um, but then what? Right. They're, NIL, they're NIL pictures in total shambles. Like we're going to talk about, we're, we're going to touch on, co compare and contrast state to Arkansas here for a second. Where, where does state go from there? Lane's a million miles ahead of Mississippi State in NIL. I mean, wh where he is in comparison to Auburn and Alabama and stuff's a, a totally different thing. But in, in terms of comparison to Mississippi State, he's he's he's, a, he's the Yankees playing against a single A affiliate somewhere. I mean, he, he this is this is not even close. So Leach, yeah, Leach gave them Leach gave them a chance by being from another planet, and I mean that in the most yeah. positive way. He's such a creative guy, one hundred percent. And they they did this different thing. That's not who Zach Garnett is. So they can pay Zach Garnett four and a half million dollars to go away and be a defensive coordinator someplace. He'll get a job within minutes. And then what? Who are you hiring? I mean, some people throw Rhett Lashley's name around. Nothing against Rhett Lashley. I'm sure he's great. But, I mean, I'm not even sure Mississippi State's as good of a job as SMU right now. So they're really – so regardless of what they do, State ain't going anywhere. What What about Arkansas? They've had some tough losses this year. Yeah. Sam wins the media over. We see what he's all about. Do the yeah. people of Arkansas know, do you think he's coming back another year? you feel like he's in good shape? I think he probably gets another year. The only problem with that, Mike, is when you get to a place where it's okay, next year's make it or bust. How do you recruit to that? They've lost they've lost a big recruit yesterday. I think they're about to lose another one today. That's hard to sell. When you hey, next year's really going to be really important. If it goes badly, we're probably going to fire the coach. That that's that's tough. Now you're right. They've lost a lot of close games. He clearly made a mistake with Dan Enos and and held on too long and then it almost makes him look worse when you get rid of Enos and you just kind of go back to what you were doing and all of a sudden you roll up 500 yards on Florida and you win in overtime there and people are like well good lord man I mean what's going to haunt him Mike is not the close loss at LSU it's not the close loss to Ole Miss it's not the close loss to Alabama those are all respectable losses it's losing at home to BYU it's right. losing at home to Mississippi State I was at that game my daughter goes to school at Arkansas it was Kyle dad's weekend we actually spent money and went to that game. It was offense got set back a hundred years that day. <laughs> it was inexcusable to lose that game. Inexcusable. <laughs> and so at the end of this season, they got Auburn this week. So I think for Pittman to survive, right? He's got to beat Auburn. Then he gets FIU. If he beats them, that's five. Then maybe you could even lose to Missouri and go five and seven and go, hey, we really made a couple mistakes and we're going to fix this, but I don't know. And here, But here's the difference at Arkansas. What makes that job different? And Pittman and Hunter Juracek and those guys have kind of fought making NIL a big uh, front presence of their program. That's not kind of who Sam is. You know what I mean? That's just that he's he's old school. You know him. I don't. I don't really know him. You do. Everybody raves about Sam. He is a a, a guy's guy. He believes in hey, you bring guys in and you 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 develop a culture and a program and 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 you mature and he likes to recruit that way. I'm not sure that's the way to do it there. And the difference in Fayetteville in the greater Northwest Arkansas area as opposed to uh, Mississippi State and Startville, there's a ton of money in in there's a lot there's Northwest a lot of money. Arkansas. You gave me a deadline, so I got to I got to keep keep you moving on. If I didn't ask you about Alabama, I'd be remiss. You. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think you intentionally know so much about the program, but you do. It's almost like sometimes I think you wish you didn't know and couldn't read them as well as you do. Uh, th this whole Nick Saban thing. I mean, they're singing happy birthday at the team meeting. He's bought this million dollar mansion in Florida. I mean, is it, are all the signs, the, all the signs, Neil, are pointing that this really could be Nick riding it off into the sunset. But what does a guy like Nick Saban do if he's not coaching football? What's, what is your theory on the whole, is there a right answer right now? Or do you think Nick doesn't even know? What do you, what, what's your scenario for Saban in Alabama? My guess is that he probably has a clue, but he's not completely sold on it yet. Uh, I, I will say this. We, you and I both know Glenn Gilbo and, the week of the uh, LSU, not LSU, the week of the Ole Miss-Alabama game, Glenn writes for OutKick, and he wrote a story quoting someone close to Saban. And I know that Nick knows a lot of people close to Saban who said it's this year or next year, and that he's built the house in Florida. You watch the game day show, and, I mean, Corso's not – that's not, not – there's not a whole lot left in that. I kind of wonder if maybe that's the next step for Nick Saban. Does he become the ambassador kind of for college football? But then at the same time, I watch his teams play. And I'm going to tell you what, dude, Saturday night against LSU, they were dialed in. They were good. And so the, the the one thing that Nick Saban has that he probably doesn't get enough credit for, he's been doing this now for, what, 107 years? Um, I mean, the guy is so adaptable. He adapts to the environment. And he's done it again. He's got this, this quarterback that early in the season wasn't very good. And he's they figured out ways to maximize what he does well. They're really good on defense, and they've taken Jason McClellan and found a role for him. He's now a, a more than serviceable SEC running back. They they can make a few plays downfield. They get big chunk plays. Um, they're not going to beat you probably the way that Nick Saban would love to beat you, but they find different ways to beat you. And and you know they held serve with LSU and back and forth, back and forth, and then they broke serve, and that was that. And is there going to be another team that's going to beat Alabama this year, Neil? If you told me a team beats Alabama this year, I'll tell you in the SEC, I'll tell you it's Georgia. I mean, I don't think they're losing at Kentucky. They're not losing to Auburn. Um, that's all that's left. I mean, they're, they're, they're one win away from clinching the West. Yeah. Um, I don't think you know, the SEC gets two teams in this year, by the way. If Florida State runs the table and you get an undefeated Big Ten team and you got either a one-loss A&M or I think a one-loss Oregon or an undefeated Washington, I don't think the SEC championship game loser gets in. No, I I think the only way there's two teams is is if Ole Miss were to run the table, and then whoever won the Georgia Alabama game got in because there was chaos elsewhere. Right, uh, the Pac-12 just ate itself up. The Florida State lost the ACC title game. Maybe something disciplinary happens with Michigan. I don't know. Um, the Big Ten's chaos. If you told me there was chaos and that the Georgia Alabama winner got in and Ole Miss slipped in as the four, sure. Other than that, the SEC championship game loser, you don't see that. No, either. no, no. Whoever loses that game is headed to an access bowl. I agree. I agree. No, no question. You've given me more time than you said you would. I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody for watching our Ingles on the Beat show. Obviously, I'll be coming back later this week. We have other Dog Nation programming. We have our Go With The Flow program. Don't forget about that later in the week. Every day at 10 a.m., it's Brandon Adams and Dog Nation Daily. Wednesday night, Jeff Santel. Fantastic recruiting show uh, before the hedges. Thursday night, we have our um, our happy hour show with Kaylee Manziel and of course our tailgater show Saturday. I'll be doing that with Kaylee as well. And then Sunday night, it's Connor and coverage. So we've got all sorts of video all week long on dognation.com. Check us out on our YouTube channel, as well as our Facebook page. We have a lot of these videos as well. And Neil, I'll obviously I'll be doing your show. I mentioned earlier, 
you know, that, you know, everything you're involved in with the rebelgrove.com. And then of course, uh, MPW digital, I'm sure I'll be making an appearance on your show later this week as well. Thank you. Absolutely. So much. I can't wait. Thank you for your time. Man. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. We could go on forever and we will, and we have, and this is just what happens after however many years, 25 years of friendship. Everybody have a great week. It's going to be a super week of buildup leading up to a fantastic game with Ole Miss.